Hello and welcome. You are listening to Resiliency, a podcast that takes an inside look at enhancing the vitality and resilience of field workers. From experts in member care to frontline field workers, our guests will bring you their experience, their lessons learned, and always something practical you can take away and use to increase your resiliency in cross-cultural life and ministry. Co-hosts Silas West and Steve Finley are just one part of an ever-growing and strengthening net of member care in the Antioch movement. They want to see Matthew 24, 14 happen and do everything they can to help field workers have the kind of resilience that enables them to make it for the long haul. Well, listeners, we are thrilled to have you with us again on Resiliency. Silas and I this past week reached out to a number of people that we know that are that are in our same line of work and just kind of encourage them to get the word out about resiliency. And we want to ask you to do the same, not so that so that we, Silas and I, can, you know, can get any uh, name or acclaim for this thing, but we truly, our hearts, and we were just praying about this before we started this episode, our hearts are simply, man, we just want to help uh, field workers to really make it for the long haul. In fact, uh, just kind of reflecting on, you know, the purpose of why we began resiliency and started talking about this thing maybe over a year ago, you know, it's to give our listeners encouragement and hope, as well as equip you guys with tools and habits and best practices that can help you to make it for the long haul in cross-cultural ministry. So uh, we've let some of our friends in the work of missions uh, know about it this past week simply so that we can, by God's grace, help more people. So Silas, I know that's our heart. And today I get the blessing of being able to interview you about a topic that I know is is really kind of dear to you. Yeah, it's something that I've been sharing with clients as a counselor for a while now as a means of practically putting into action some of what Bob Watson talked about in our last episode when we were dealing with grief and loss, when he said mourning is the active process by which we engage the emotions of grief in, re, in, in as a response to loss. Uh, lament is a spiritual way of doing that mourning. Being able to in, introduce and invite my clients who are dealing with loss and, uh, and many, as, as you know, many missionaries, that's the primary thing they, they face. Global workers, one of the main things they deal with is loss. And so inviting them into a process of lament has been a, a privilege and a joy as part of my, my counseling practice. So even as you say, uh, global workers deal so much with loss. I mean, we're not simply talking about the subject of something like losing a loved one or, or uh, a tragedy happening in our lives, right? No, I mean, loss comes in all kinds of shapes and forms. And one of the primary ones that that our global workers face is just a loss of autonomy. Things that they've known all their lives suddenly being taken away from them, like how to order a pizza or how to call a friend, how to uh, ask for a a mango in the market. Things that as grown adults, they've known how to do. Some of them with master's degrees and PhDs are, are feeling like functional toddlers in their new place because of that loss of autonomy. And so it's hundreds of thousands of little things all, all day long, every day. Experiencing that on a global scale like they do, it can be a lot to take in. Yeah. So as we tackle the subject of lament today, so Silas, going back to, we had a great interview with Bob Watson the other day. 
launch us into this topic of a little bit deeper than we talked with Bob that day of lament. What does the Bible have to say about lament? I mean, of course, as as we've talked a little bit behind the scenes, uh, we've talked about the the difference between either two thirds of the Psalms or one third of the Psalms. I'm not really sure which one it is because I've read both can be categorized or labeled as lament. But let's even just say for uh, a conservative number being one third of the book of Psalms being a being lament, and plus in addition an entire book named lament, Lamentations, so named yeah. after lament. But the right. When you look at the meaning of psalms, it, it's a word that in and of itself means praises. And so yep. though lament means really engaging with some of the, the most visceral parts of, of our life experience, of the human condition, of grief and loss, of tra- it's a face of tragedy, yet it's, it's labeled under, or it's categorized, I should say, under a, a book that's entitled Praises. So I think wow. there's something there to be to be grabbed onto that that we should look at. And we don't have to kind of be scared of the word lament once again. Uh, like, oh man, I'm not I'm not in the deep throes of agony uh, of soul necessarily. In order to uh, think about, wow, it, it might be a time right now where I I may need to practice lament. I mean, I did see. I looked up the word itself, the Hebrew word, and it's sulfet, sulfet or sulfad, and it means to tear the hair and beat the breast and to wail. And in Jeremiah 31, 15, it says, this is what the Lord says, a voice was heard in Ramah, a lament with bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. You know, that's that's pretty, that's heavy and it's real. But talk to us for a moment about that whole idea of the continuum all the way from something that absolutely sounds tragic to uh, it being something that doesn't necessarily just come into play when we've experienced what I would call a more grievous or serious loss. Yeah, sure. Well, if you think about the, again, going back to our global workers, if you look at loss as uh, these, even those little things like, I can't buy a mango. I don't know the word for this. Uh, I don't know how to walk to this part of town without asking for help. I don't know which bus to get on. All of those in and of themselves might be pretty insignificant, minuscule things. But at, from an accumulative point of view, they would have the same kind of toll on a, on a human, on, a, on our psyche, on our, our, our emotions, on our mentality, as one of those more grievous, tremendous single losses. Yeah, the accumulation piling up into something that uh, doesn't seem comparable, and yet what you're what you're assuring us and our listeners here is that don't make light of those things. Don't uh, don't trivialize that this accumulation of loss can add up to something that can have a similar type of what would you say toll on our soul? Yeah, absolutely. And when we, when we don't deal with it and address it, it starts to harden that soil of our soul, to use that metaphor. Mm. Um, it, it hardens it. It makes it not as productive. And uh, it can end up turning into bitterness, anger, resentment, even frustration toward God or uh, burnout is another one of the, the, the fruits of unaddressed, undealt with loss in our lives. Well, wow. what's the difference between sort of just complaining to God and lamenting before God or to God? 
Yeah, I think first of all, lament when we do it in the way that uh, is laid out in the Psalms, it's a, a form of praise. Like I said, it's a it's a it's not a complaint because we look at complaint and what is that? It's a it's an accusation against mm. the, the character and nature of God. It's a um, it's it's a test. It's putting God on trial, like uh, mm. the Hebrews in the Hebrew children in the desert. When they brought their complaints to Moses, they were putting God on trial. You took, you told, told us if we came out here, you would lead us, you would take care of us. But here we are. We don't have any water. We don't have any food. But in the Psalms, we see the same people, Israel, asking God to answer according to his character, according to his nature, his unfailing love. So in that way, we can say a complaint is an accusation against God that maligns his character. But a lament is an appeal to God based on confidence in his character. Wow. I never have said this on resiliency before, but if you're taking notes, you should push that 15 seconds back thing twice right now and listen (laughs) to that one again and write it down. That's really good. I think that's uh, why it's important to lament. So Silas, that whole uh, reality that if we don't process loss through um, grief at times and this actual practice of lament, you know, it can take a a toll on our soul. And that's kind of the why it's important to lament. Uh, But what, what makes lament hard to do? You've told me before, you know, it's hard for people to, to uh, lament. What makes it hard to do? Yeah. I think that there's two reasons why it can be really hard for people. And sometimes it's both of them hap- operating at the same time. And sometimes it's one or the other, but it's, it's two things. It's, it's trust and guilt. And so okay. I'll start with the guilt first. We, some, so many of us, especially in the Christian tradition, feel guilty about bringing our own problems and addressing our own problems, even to God. Yeah. So that guilt makes us, we feel like we're selfish or we're a bad person for feeling the way that we do. I'm bad for even feeling that. And so I push down those emotions, I minimize them and I suppress them. And so that makes lament hard because we have to, we have to own them and address them, acknowledge them in the first place that they're there. And not feel guilty about them. (laughs) And not feel guilty about them. Yeah. Mm. So um, that make that's one, one problem, but another problem is trust. And uh, actually, you know, again, going back to some of my counseling practice, I find this trust issue is, is best understood by understanding attachment theory. Uh, there's three kinds of attachment that's been identified. A secure attachment, which is what we all want to have. And that means that I know that when I am discomforted or I'm, I'm not in a healthy, happy place, that I can receive comfort by those that love me. Mm-hmm. But in the cases where that is, hasn't been the case for someone, an anxious avoidant attachment which would say uh, a child doesn't care if they're separated or reunited with their parents. They just want to play by themselves or an Mm -hmm. anxious ambivalent attachment. And that would be where you see a a child who's clingy to their parents, right? When they're getting dropped off at Sunday school, they're crying. No, please don't, don't leave me. And then whenever their parent comes and picks them up, they're mad at them. Like, how, how can you do this to me? Why did you leave me here? Uh, even when their their parents return, they they're they're still angry with them, and so that's an an- anxious ambivalent. And both of those are forms of attachment that are developed by not feeling like you can trust your caregiver. Okay, 
And so sometimes we have a hard time, if, especially if, if our own caregivers as children were not the best caregivers. Uh, a mm. person referred to this, this situation where they were in so, former Soviet Union at an adoption agency, at an orphanage actually, and they were, they were surprised at how silent the, the halls were where the children were kept, the babies. None of them were crying. And at first they were thinking, well, this is good. These are happy babies. They're not crying. And then they realized that actually, no, some of them were laying in their own filth and were hungry, but they had learned that when they cried, no one answered. And so even at that early infancy age, they were already taught that when they were, when they needed comfort, no one was there for them. And the only place that they have for comfort is their own self. Mm-hmm. So when, when we have no comfort as, as children, we can develop this attachment problem with God. Why would okay. I turn to God for comfort when no one has been there for me all of my life? I can only trust in myself. And so trust becomes a major issue in our, our ability to lament, to, to come before God, to lay out our, our problems and expect or hope or anticipate that he's going to do something about it. Yeah. So, so feeling guilty that we're even having these, these feelings uh, would, could prevent us from practicing lament and then just, just not really feeling like we could trust in trust to God, all of these feelings. And at times very visceral type of feelings like we read about in the Psalms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then another reason that actually that makes it hard is people don't have time. I think that's a big one right there, Silas. Let's talk about that one for a minute. You know, we don't have time. So here are listeners listening to this and then suddenly you say, we don't have time. How do you do it? How much time does it take? I mean, (laughs) can you lament in five minutes or does it take five hours? I think, first of all, we have to get our head around a a different perspective on lament. And this is part of the practical how-to but uh, I've had people ask me, you know, I've got I've to spend my time with Jesus and I've got to take care of my kids and I've got to do all these other things. And now you're telling me to sit down and maybe journal or write out a, a song or a prayer of lament in addition to all these other things. And I would appeal to that first, that first priority of our day of spending time with Jesus. I would appeal to that idea that this is in addition to spending time with Jesus and actually look at it as a way or an invitation that Jesus is offering us of a, a way to spend time with him. Uh, I'm going to start with reading a, a very short one. I think Psalm 142 is a really good example of what a, men, a lament can look like. Another really great one is Psalm 22, but it's 30 verses long. And so for the sake of, of uh, clarity and for the podcast listener, I'm not going to read that one. But Psalm 142, it starts with my voice. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. There's that word complaint that you mentioned before. Yeah. I tell my trouble before him. So right there, we see a real clear beginning part of what lament is all about, which I'll I'll break it down in a minute. Verse three, when my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. 
The righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me. And so this one right here has all of the parts of a, of a structure of lament. It begins with a complaint. Things are not as they should be. This is my problem. This is my situation. The world needs to be made right. And then it turns into a request. So step one, beginning with that complaint, gotcha. but then turning it into a request, God, please do something. Rescue me, heal me, restore me, show mercy to me, attend to me. So we see that in this ver in, in this uh, lament that, that David turns it to a request to God, but then it ends with a, an expression of trust. And so even for those of us who might have some of that anxious, ambivalent or anxious, avoidant uh, trust issue with our caregivers, we can learn how to change that part of who we are by practicing lament. Even if we don't feel it, we can practice it. And as we can continue to practice it, we grow in that ability. We stretch that muscle of trust to be able to, to connect with God at a deeper level. So a lament, the third part of a lament is it ends with an expression of trust. It ends with the reminder that God is setting things right, even though it often seems so slow. It's right for our laments to, to turn toward a reminder that God is in control and about the business of writing all the things made wrong. And we even see that in, uh, in how Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's that, that expression of trust, that ending with the reminder that God is going to set things right on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, so it really has to do with, with faith. Really faith does. and trust in the character of God and the promises of God, the goodness of God, while acknowledging that things are not good right now. Yeah. But, but I am confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So, so I hear you saying CRT. I'm, a good, I'm an acronym guy. I got I to hang my thoughts on some good solid hooks. So I hear you saying complaint request and trust. Is that kind of the three parts of a lament? I think that that sums it up really well. Uh, we can even look at, at Jesus in the garden. He, he prayed this prayer. It was a complaint. God, I don't think I can do this. This is too much for me. And then a request, please take this cup from me. Wow. Yeah. And then the, the expression of trust, not my will, but yours be done. I'm putting wow. myself into your hands. That's great. Silas, you've, you've uh, encouraged counselees to do this uh, for I'm sure many years now what are some of what are people's testimonies who are in a good good healthy habit and rhythm of practicing lament well, how does this thing, affect people how does this affect people yeah one thing I, I've heard people talk to me about as they've begun to practice it and come back to oh yeah you know what that seemed like it was going to be an impossible task and as I did it uh, some of the things that you said would happen. Some of the claims that you made actually mm. are true. One of them is uh, increased intimacy with God. People have said, I, I never really understood that if I brought my, my complaints, my needs, my hurts, my losses to God, that I would actually grow in my relationship with him. But learning how to talk to him about it has helped me to do that. Another thing people have said is it's helped me to begin to put language to the, the overwhelming sense of fog or haze that mm. I, that seems to cloud me. I, I just feel like I'm walking around in a, a haze. And as I begin to talk to myself, first of all, and then to God about losses, 
putting language to my losses, or I start to experience clarity in that, that fog or that haze that I've been walking through. And um, I loved what Bob Watson said in our, our episode two weeks ago, where he talked about the way that we disconnect the, the pain of the loss from our heart and we connect it to a memory. Mm-hmm. That's, that stuck with me because it resonates with things I've heard so many times that people have said, as I've processed loss, I've been able to put things that continue to trigger me on a daily basis into the timeline of my story instead of into this ongoing ever, every day over and over again experience that I'm having. Mm. Yeah. That's one of those productive life giving benefits that Bob pointed out to us. Yeah. Well, you were just mentioning what maybe some of your clients have said through time. Let me get real personal here, Silas, and ask you, tell us about a time where you practiced lament and how you've benefited from it personally. I think one of the the first times that I really engaged with lament uh, was in coming face to face with some of the ways that my own life experience of growing up in boarding school and and all of that, which I loved, but realizing it, that it didn't always do the very best for me developmentally. And so it left me with some gaps in my childhood that uh, have affected my ways of relating to people and my ways of even relating to myself. And it wasn't until those, those losses or those gaps were brought to my attention that I realized that these are actually why I behave in certain ways that I do. And so to go back and begin to lament those things, things that I couldn't necessarily change. I couldn't, uh, make it different, but before r- lamenting them, in a sense, it was almost like I was living my life with a a, a debt that needed paid back. Mm-hmm. But in the process of lamenting, by being honest with God, this is what this is what it was. This is how it affected me. This is what it did to me. And then saying to God, Lord, I, I want I want to be able to walk forward in my life differently. I don't mm-hmm. want these gaps to continue to affect me and to to cause destructive patterns in my relationships, then to turn it into trust, Lord, I'm going to lay this at your feet and know that you are the one who fills all of these gaps. Mm. You are the great gap filler. And so the places where I might not have had my parents with me, the places where I wasn't able to develop in that way, the way that maybe I should have, Mm. I'm going to trust that you're going to fill those gaps that you want to, to give me life abundant. And that means even in these areas, and so I, I trust you with that. And so I'm no, longer, I'm no longer requiring that debt to be paid, but in a sense, I'm, I'm canceling the debt and looking to you to be the, the gap filler. That's wonderful. Thank, I mean, thanks for, for being vulnerable and just sharing that, Silas. That's good. I know that speaks. It speaks to me. I'm sure it speaks to everybody listening. You know, you kind of mentioned this a little while ago, but maybe even right now, especially we're still in this COVID-19 crisis as we record today and people are feeling overwhelmed with life. You know, how can we suggest that they add lamenting their losses on top of everything else that's going on? I want you just to kind of revisit that thing of how uh, it may it may be that, hey, your quiet time is going to look different as you choose to uh, practice lament. Uh, one of the first things we can do is just going into some time with Jesus, whether this be an addition to our quiet time or, or if we feel that invitation from God to make this our quiet time for a season to, to say, all right, Lord, help me see where, where I'm experiencing loss right now. 
Uh, if we want to make it specific to the COVID-19 uh, shelter at home, disconnect from face-to-face uh, -face opportunities with our, our loved ones and our coworkers, then, then that would be a great way to, to focus in or to create parameters. Or maybe we just know, hey, there is a whole lot of accumulated loss that I've just got to address. But whatever it is, to start with not feeling overwhelmed by it, but let that even in and of itself be an act of trust. If we trust that the Holy Spirit is only going to lead us to uh, by putting his finger on the issues that we need to address, we know that we're not going to be biting off more than we can chew. Yeah. So that in and of itself is an act of trust. If we know right. a lot of loss and we think, I don't even want to begin there, say, okay, Lord, you're the one that's going to lead me through it. So what's mm. the loss that I need to address first? And then starting with that process, begin with the complaint. The what didn't work out the way it should have, what happened that shouldn't have, what should have happened that didn't happen. Yeah. This is the way it is. And then turn it into a request. God, help me do something. Rescue me, heal me, restore this broken place. Help me to, to, to let go of the debt that is owed me. And then... Mm -hmm. And then turning it into a, an expression of trust. One thing that I've noticed, again, this is something that clients have told me, I've experienced it myself. When we look at loss through the lens of lament, it's not, mm -hmm. it doesn't become an overwhelming just, oh my goodness, I'm just looking at all of these losses in my life. I'm looking at all of this horrible stuff, this darkness. I just want to turn away from it and run away from it. But instead, because each one is, it ends with that expression of trust it ends with the reminder that God's setting things right. It turns every sorrowful, bad thing into an opportunity for hope. Wow. And so when that's we a, do that, that's a good word. Yes. When we do that, it's not, it doesn't end with that dark place, but it ends with an, an expectation, creating an opportunity for abundant life to happen, even in the places where the enemy is sought to steal, kill, and destroy. Hmm. Well, just as we kind of round the corner down the home stretch here and we talk about the how-tos of lament, just going back to Psalm 142, the first two words of it or three are, I cry aloud. There's that whole truth that our thoughts disentangle themselves as they pass through our fingers and we encourage people to journal. What would you say regarding our need to lament and our way of lamenting in terms of do we cry aloud and it's more effective or do we write and it's more effective? Anything to say about that? I think any way that we put language to it, writing is a really good way to do that. It makes it very tangible. It's something that you end up with a product at the end that you can either do something symbolic to, like crumple up and put into a fireplace. Even voicing it, it's still putting language to it. It's, it's allowing our ears to hear it as, as our, our mind, uh, our cognitive functions, put the feelings into something that's, that's language into some linguistic form. I like the idea of writing better, but personally, I'm, I'm not very disciplined as a writer. Uh, I don't keep a journal very well. And so uh, sometimes going out on a walk or out in my backyard, I can just say it out loud. It's still externalizing it. It's putting it from a place where it's just kind of messing up with my soul and my heart and getting it out there where I can do something with it. Yeah, so I think that's... I would a, say either one of those is good. Yeah, I think just the, the point being, get it out of your head and get yeah. it out of your heart and into some type of form spoken or written. Well, Silas, if our listeners only remembered one thing today, what's that big takeaway you'd want them to remember? 
Mm. I'm going to go back to the, the parable that I was referring to with the soil of our soul. We think yeah. often of that, that parable as a very good illustration of, of what it means to evangelize, where this, we go out and we sow seeds and it falls on different types of soil. But I want to think of it for a moment in terms of the soil of our own soul. What are we doing right now to nurture the soil of our soul, to make it so that it's very, very fruitful, so that when the seeds of the gospel fall on it, it bears good fruit, fruit of hope, fruit of peace. And if we're not lamenting our losses, we're only guaranteeing that the soil becomes rocky and hard and and unproductive. But if we lament, it's like a gardener gently tending the soil and creating opportunities for for fruit to, to be born. Beautiful. Why don't you pray for us today and just that we would all have uh, lay hold of the grace and really have the, the discipline to practice lament for the good of our souls. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to descend on, on each one of us, every listener who's tuning in right now, even on Steve and I as we listen, Lord, descend on us right now and highlight places in our souls, places in our hearts and our memories where we have loss that has not been adequately processed, adequately addressed. And Lord, just give us the grace to lament those areas. Lord, we know that this is one of the places that you invite us to to meet with us at the most intimate places of of our our hearts. And so we just want to offer those to you as places to encounter you, that our places of pain don't have to be places that we run away from or mask or hide with busyness or with some other form of, of escape but actually can be the very places that we encounter you at the most profound level. Yes, Lord. And so, Lord, we just offer that to you right now. We offer it to you as a, a, an act of trust, as an act of hope, as an act of, of prophetic imagination. Give us the strength and the courage to be people who intentionally go after and, and pursue those jagged edges of loss. Mm. And let us come through it on the other side, victorious. Let us come through it on the other side, finding abundant life. And actually, Lord, let us find that abundant life, not on the other side, but in the midst of it. Yes, Lord. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So good, Silas. We're so thankful for you and just for the wisdom and the the compassion as a pastor that, that God's blessed you with also. So CRT, complaints, request, and trust. That's our, that's our pattern. And uh, I want to just encourage you listeners that, and I'm sure you do this, but, you know, one of our desires for resiliency is uh, to be something that as you listen to it and you think, oh, I know somebody who could so benefit from that message, uh, just that you would pass it to them. Because once again, our heart is to help, is to really help and strengthen global workers, and whomever else you may have on your heart for this particular episode. God bless you guys. Hey there, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. As we've said before, Steve and I would love to hear from you. If you follow us on Instagram at Resiliency Podcast, you can message us there, but there's also a link in the bio where you can leave us a voicemail. One listener recently called in to say he loved the podcast, but would like us to go even deeper into the topics and to please make each episode longer. Well, JC, we're so glad that you love the podcast, and we will work hard to improve our interviewing to better uncover the gold in our conversations with our guests. 
but we want to keep everyone's attention until the end of each episode. So I think we're going to stay committed to 30 minute episodes at this point. Listeners, we'd like to hear from you. So please leave us a message and tune in again in two weeks for another episode of Resiliency.